Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 5, recorded Sunday, May 12th, 2019. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hi, everyone. And thanks for tuning in to this latest edition of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerapino. Well, it's Mother's Day 2019, and I want to wish all the moms out there a happy Mother's Day, especially to my mom down in Pennsylvania. I got to chat with her a little bit uh, this morning, and a little cold down there in Pennsylvania, just like it is up here in New England, and wet as well. We had certainly had, had a wet spring. Also, want to say Happy Mother's Day to Donna. Thank you, Donna, for all you do. Well, we got back from our trip to Dutch Springs last weekend. We had uh, six dives down there over the three days. Uh, got to do an advanced open water class and uh, also a dry suit class. And if that wasn't enough, Monty took a gang back down there to Dutch Springs in Pennsylvania again this weekend as they uh, were doing some instructor development coursework as our three new candidates are getting ready for their instructor exam next weekend. So we wish them the best of luck as they uh, head out to uh, to their instructor exam. So the dive season's in full swing up here. Let's hope that uh, we start to get a little bit better weather um, and uh, some warmer weather. Yesterday was beautiful, but uh, we're hoping that uh, things get better as we head into the dive season. Speaking of being warm, for me, being warm and staying warm during a dive really important and I think it is for a lot of our divers. Up here in New England I I choose to wear my dry suit all year round. That means I can just change up the undergarments to compensate for the different times of years and the different uh, water temperatures that I might encounter. However most of the year it's cold up here and and especially as we go deeper the water uh, gets gets a lot colder for us. So with that in mind, I wanted to try out a couple of different options for uh, undergarments uh, for, for the dry suit. So I took a, a, a couple of new products down to Dutch Springs with me last weekend, and those were the Thermolution Yellow Grade Heated Vest and the Fourth Element X-Core Vest. First of all, the uh, Thermolution, it, it's a battery-powered heated vest, and it uses uh, two small lithium polymer batteries. And those batteries are housed in two little pockets that sit in the vest. Um, it's a rash guard type material, and the, the batteries just sit on the side there and hook up to the heating element. It, use, it also has a wireless transmitter, a little round transmitter that sits on, on the back of the vest and the lower part of it. And uh, you control the heat through a wireless controller that you wear on your forearm and there's three different heat settings high medium and low Um, the vest this yellow grade vest can be worn either under your dry suit 
That's why it's wireless, or you can actually wear it under a wetsuit as well. The, the vest is rated to 300 feet, and it has an estimated heating time of between 180 and 240 minutes. So pretty nice vest. The other vest that I uh, tried out down at Dutch Springs was the Fourth Element X-Core vest. It's also a sleeveless vest, but it's not uh, battery-powered. Fourth Element describes it as their answer to an electronically heated vest, and it uses the body's own uh, heat output, and, and the big thing about it is it retains it. The vest is part of their ocean-positive line, and that means it's made out of uh, a fiber called Reprieve Fiber, and that's uh, manufactured from recycled post-consumer waste, like plastic bottles or ghost fishing nets. I took both of these vests on multiple dives while we were down there at Dutch Springs, and I like both of them. But I think uh, for me, the fourth element vests came out on top, and here's my reasons behind that. The, um, the Thermolution vest, uh, you put it on, you, you turn it on, you can feel the heat build up right away. You, you feel it heat up. But uh, the problem for me was it only heated my back. It does not have any elements on the front of the, the vest, so your, your chest doesn't benefit from, from the heat. I mean, it, it, you, you still retain some heat, but I would have liked it a lot better if I had some, some heat on the, on, on the chest. The other thing, uh, we, we did have one of our divers take it uh, under a wetsuit, um, and he said it was, it was okay at the surface or in the first 20 to 30 feet, but once we got down pretty deep to 60, 70 feet and the water temperature dropped, he really didn't uh, get the, the benefit of, of the heat like he thought he would. Um, there were no issues with the batteries. They didn't uh, kind of rub or bother or anything like that, so it's really well-engineered. Um, and, and a really nice vest. The X-Core vest, though, really lived up to its height. From the minute I put it on, you, you could feel the heat uh, build up uh, on your core. Uh, really, really nice. It, it felt like there was a switch that went on and, and it heated up. And, and the other thing about it is that heat really stayed with me the whole dive, whether I was uh, at the 20-foot platforms or down at 90 feet where the water temperature was pretty low. So it really, really worked the, the way they said it would. The other thing that you can get in the X-Core line are leggings. So if you go along with an X-Core vest and X-Core leggings, I think you're going to be really warm on your dives. I didn't have the leggings, so the next time we put a fourth element order in, I'm going to, to pick up a set of X-Core leggings as well. No knocks against the Thermolution. It worked as advertised, but for me, price and performance-wise, um, the, uh, the X-Core was the winner of the weekend. Plastic pollution is chemical pollution. That's the title of a blog post written by Hannah Defron and Chelsea Rochman from the University of Toronto. And that blog post was on the uh, Ocean Conservancy website. So if you're interested, you can read that article uh, on Ocean Conservancy website blog. With plastic, it's not just what we see, but also what we don't see. 
Turns out plastic absorbs pollutants from the surrounding water and then transports those pollutants great distances with the ocean currents. Additionally, uh, there are chemicals that are added to a lot of plastics, chemicals like colorants or flame retardants. And those uh, uh, additives can also leach out of the plastic and, and cause yet another problem. So they conducted this study and they, they looked at beach cleanups and looked at the items that were most commonly found uh, on beach cleanups. And those items were beverage bottles, bottle caps, styrofoam containers, cutlery, grocery bags, straws, and food wrappers. So they used that data to estimate that there was probably about 87,000 metric tons of those uh, items entering the ocean every year. And of those 87,000 metric tons, what they carry with them are about 190 metric tons of different chemical additives. So a big, a big problem. But, but the news is even worse because those items only account for about 1% of the estimated 8 million metric tons of plastic that enter the ocean each year. So we can see uh, a, a big problem with plastic pollution and chemical pollution. You can read a lot more about these findings uh, and their work on, on the blog out on Ocean Conservancy. So anything we can do, no matter how simple it is to avoid putting uh, these type of items, um, in you know, single-use uh, plastic items, uh, into the ocean will help. Be mindful. Um, if you can avoid it, please avoid it. Like for me, I, when I go to the convenience store now, instead of buying a plastic bottle of soda, I'll look for a can. Uh, I'll look for a glass bottle. I'm just trying to, to avoid uh, as much plastic as I can. It's hard because it's so prolific, but uh, we've got to make a difference, and I think we, we can do it. A couple of years ago, I was uh, diving in Grand Cayman, and um, as I was preparing to get on the boat, I watched one of my fellow divers drop a plastic bag that he was carrying between the boat and a dock. A really oh-no moment. The, the boat crew did their best. They hastily recovered that bag, you know, fished it out, and, and handed it to the gentleman. The, the content of the bag was utterly soaked. And, and part of the content of that bag was, was really an irreplaceable dialogue that the gentleman's wife had been maintaining. And the reason I said it was irreplaceable uh, was one of the things that she had done throughout her dive career is she would put these detailed uh, colored drawings of, of the fish she saw on each dive um, on the dive log. Um, you know, she did her best to dry them out on the boat and, and salvage her work. But pretty much uh, years of effort were kind of wiped out so quickly. A, a, a quick slip of the, of the bag and, and done. So that's why when I'm on a boat from now on, I'm always carrying my dry bag. You know, when we first started dry, diving, we, we, we had a dry, uh, dry bag with us, and uh, we religiously took that on boats with us. But along the way, somehow the, uh, the buckle broke on it, and we, we never replaced it. 
And, and for years, I think I've been living uh, dangerously by carrying my stuff in a little small canvas bag and I put, would, would put things in. And uh, let's face it, boats get wet. It's only a matter of time until this unprotected gear gets get soaked, either uh, from the spray of the salt water or the waves crashing over or it could be raining out there as you're on the boat and you're in, not in a protected area. So after witnessing the logbook getting dunked at the dock, I made it a point to come back and and get get the dry bag uh, replaced. And I got a dry bag that's big enough that I can put a lot of stuff in it. I can put a towel in there, put my shirt, hat, cell phone, glasses, anything that I want to keep dry, uh, I'll put in the dry bag. And it really feels good to know that when I get on the boat, uh, that, that my stuff is going to be protected. I don't have to worry about uh, tucking it away someplace out of the elements because uh, if it happens to get moved or uh, something goes, go, a window gets left open on the boat, I, I know my stuff's going to be dry at the end of the dive. So think about getting your dry bag and taking it on the boat next time you go. Well, that wraps up episode five of Scuba Shack Radio. Hope you enjoyed listening, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to tune in to, to the podcast. As always, if you have any suggestions or feedback, please pass them along. You can do that uh, through the Scuba Shack Radio website, or if you like, you can also contact me through my blog, and the blog is on the Scuba Shack website, and that's at scubashackct.com, and you can leave uh, a message for me there as well. Next weekend, we'll be conducting our first open water certification dives, and we'll be in Jamestown, Rhode Island. We'll be up there on May 18th and 19th. We get there bright and early in the morning, and we're usually done by around noon or 1 o'clock. So if anybody in the uh, area is going to happen to be up at uh, Fort Weatherall in Jamestown, Rhode Island uh, next week, uh, stop by and say hello. We'll be there with uh, at least a dozen or more uh, open water students conducting their certification dives. So until next time, I appreciate again you tuning in to Scuba Shack Radio. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another uh, episode, and uh, hopefully we'll dry out here in the Northeast and we'll get to some uh, great spring and then early summer weather. Talk to you next time. Bye. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.